Welcome in listeners to December episode 119 of the Slump Buster podcast. On today's episode, we give our reaction to the first CFB playoff polls, our thoughts on the World Series and the NFL trade deadline, and reflect on the Henry Ruggs tragedy. But before we do that, folks, it's time to give a shout out to our partners. Caveman Coffee Co. Caveman is a fantastic single source, single origin goodness from a company with impeccable taste and ethics. The people behind it are beautiful souls, and the coffee is delicious fuel for the never-ending quest to do better, be better, love harder, and enjoy deeper. Guys, I tell you, their nitro cold brew is the perfect blend of energy and refreshment in the morning. Great way to start the day. But why stop there? They have their mammoth blends, which I highly encourage you getting. They have their hibiscus teas, which are delicious. And guys, if you use our promo code slump, you get 15% off your next purchase of any of these fantastic products. CavemanCoffeeCo.com, promo code slump. Guys, don't be a chump. Use promo code slump and get yourself a case today. All right, y'all. It's time for the episode. Juju Talk Sports, Kyle Ledbetter. Let's get it. Let's bust a slump and let's enjoy. All right, Kyle. We have a loaded show. So what do we want to get into first? Do we want to go sad topic do we want to go the congratulatory topic or do i get more into the analytics first how we want to start this one off oh this is a good question let's do sad part out of the way first then we'll, we'll dip into other stuff and lighten the mood a bit all right guys well i mean you probably heard it by now but of course there was a fatal car accident in las vegas early tuesday morning henry ruggs the third las vegas raiders wide receiver first round draft pick from a year ago was involved in the accident we've got a little bit more details since this event occurred. According to Adam Schefter, Henry Ruggs was going about 156 miles on the road, has since been charged with a DUI arrest. There's not too much depth that I can really add to this topic. I'll admit. The main thing I just want to, of course, convey, we've got to be smarter, guys. If you're going out, you're going out having fun, and you know you have too much to drink, this is where, especially if you're in a metropolitan area like Las Vegas, Nevada, Uber, Lyft, of course, you know, a thing, you know, that kind of gets me on this one, we, we know Henry Ruggs, has more resources than the average citizen. So that one kind of bums me out there more than anything. Uh, I feel for the family. I I feel for the person that lost their life, a 23-year-old woman and her dog passed away in the car. You know, this is just kind of like one of those things that over the last couple of years has really kind of hit me as someone in their 20s. You know, we're not bulletproof. You know, we have a 27-year-old guy here, a 20-year-old guy here on this show. And you just start to realize we have a finite amount of time here. And I I think the one thing to kind of like always think about is, you know, just that was a pretty normal day for that woman as she got into her car that morning. That was a pretty normal day for Henry Ruggs as he got into that car that day. One minute, things could just change in an instant. So definitely appreciate your life while you have it. Do everything you want to do. We'll see as more details from this crash come out. You know, obviously the conviction, the charges. This is going to be an ever-developing story over the next year. The Raiders also released Henry Ruggs III. So the football side of things is just secondary currently at this point in time. But uh, Kyle, I guess, like I said, just if you have any more takes, I mean, it's a tough subject here. Yeah, and I went for the grief eating right off the bat of trying to get the sad topic in here. But if you want to hear, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but if you want to hear like a deeper nuanced conversation around DUI as the larger picture, I feel like I did a good job with that over on Take It Easy from Wednesday. It's like 40 minutes long. So uh, something that we won't be able to get into here on the podcast is like the larger societal aspects of this, where it's a tragedy. But when you think of it in the context of 10,000 to 11,000 deaths every year as a result of DUI, 
DUI, all of a sudden that becomes a statistic. So do we want to take the sports aspect of this and make a larger conversation out of it? Or do we have this be a personal story that we're hearing about and can empathize and relate to because the person involved is a person with name recognition and dare I say a famous person who brings this conversation to the sports realm. So in that context, I think we have a larger societal conversation around it on Take It Easy if you want to tune into that. But in terms of just empathizing this and making it about uh, a a one person tragedy situation, I think you articulated it pretty well, which is that there's grieving here, there's loss, and there's going to be some ramifications that come out across the next few weeks. And that's one part of the conversation. There's so many complex layers moving in and out. I was interested personally by how the organization would stand by not just an employee, but someone who they viewed as a valuable asset. I assume that the Raiders got more information than we have that, like you mentioned, has been leaking out throughout the day at the time that we're recording this, which is middle of the afternoon on Wednesday. So maybe the Raiders had access to that information when they decided to release Henry Ruggs. I thought that was interesting, but obviously the story's now done. So maybe that's the end of the conversation of how organizations work around that. Yeah, That's what's one of the things I thought was interesting and... Yes, all the things you articulated before about this being a personal tragedy that I talked about is kind of a bit of a blind spot for myself. Don't I've never been affected by a situation like this. I don't know anyone who's dealt with a situation like this or experienced it. I haven't felt it in a way other than hearing stories like this. So I can still empathize with the situation and articulate that here on the podcast. Prayers up to the family. Hopefully, whatever justice you're seeking is sought in this situation. As far as, you know, Henry's side of things, I mean, you had to be smart in that situation. You know, you know who you are. You're a Las Vegas Raiders player. You're very name recognizable and um, putting yourself in that position. You're not really going to get a pass on that one, unfortunately, from the public. And, you know, it's hard to really come down on the guy. He's going to get a lot of people coming down on him enough over the next couple days, particularly like in the court of law. Mm-hmm. Burying him in the court of public opinion is just adding insult to injury at this point. So, Yeah, that part makes me feel kind of weird and gross because I've noticed that the most popular posts on social media at this point are the ones that are basically condemning Henry Ruggs and destroying his character for killing someone. And that it makes me feel uncomfortable in a certain sense because we don't have to do it. I think the point is made at that, but maybe this is an important way for other people to look at it and recognize that maybe this is part of the greater conversation is outcasting the person who's involved in that situation. Situation. It's not my cup of tea, but I've noticed that going on throughout the past couple of days. And yeah, that's part of being a DUI case that's now magnified on a national scale because we know of Henry Ruggs. If not for the person involved on the other end, we're never hearing about this story. And so that's one of the unintended consequences of this situation. Well, if you're going to make a post or you're certainly going to join in the condemnation of Henry Ruggs, then that is an opportunity for you to look in the mirror and do some self-reflecting to ask yourself, have you ever put yourself in that? situation, put yourself behind the wheel when you've been unfit to drive. And obviously you talk about the larger ramifications of a societal topic of DUIs. Maybe that is the opportunity for you to look in because it could be any of us. It could be anyone. You know, I don't imagine many of us decide to go 150 down what I thought was a highway, but it turns out was just a normal public street. That kind of shocked me when I really found that one out because the police still have like the intersection still held off to this day, you know, just hell, you just even drive. Driving. Aside from the DUI, just driving, I will throw this out there, guys. You know, I see a lot of crazy drivers here. Do you really need the extra 30 seconds of your time to jump ahead of a car? 
when you're merging. You really need to zigzag in and out traffic, drive 20 miles above the speed limit. Every time you enter a car, you're entering a moving missile. And that missile, when it makes contact, it goes boom sometimes. Aside from the drinking and driving element of it, just driving in general, you know, we put ourselves at risk every day. If we can mitigate those risks, do everything you can. Be more defensive drivers. I know there's a lot of people that just take that aggressive approach to driving. It's unnecessary. And, you know, we saw a similar thing like that too happen just late last year with the Tiger Woods incident as well. You know, like anytime you're in a car, you know, it, you're putting yourself at risk. You're putting others at risk. So just be courteous out there when you're on the road too, regardless of your sobriety level at said time. Yeah, everyone needs a refresher on that every now and then. Sometimes yeah. it's something that fades to the back of our mind because we haven't thought about it in a while. I'm sure most people have heard this before and think about this at least subconsciously. When Anyone step that's in taken a driving class, right? Anyone yeah. that's like, had to watch uh, red pavement or whatever it's called, red asphalt. Yeah, that's one part of it. We're going to reiterate the ABCs when a situation like this happens. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe people just need that refresher even for just a week or so if, before people kind of move on to the next story. Yeah, that's the tough part. It is a 24-hour news cycle. And not to put disrespect on this subject, because it certainly is a subject that will be talked about, overanalyzed, and re-talked about. But we do have to consider moving on just for the purposes of the show in general, guys. Just, you know, keep an eye on the story. We'll keep an eye on the story. We'll keep this you updated as we kind of have things that I going. talked about, which was like, do we want to, as a society, prioritize this more as a thing? Because DUIs are usually, if it's not a famous person like yeah well you'll see it on the local news and then you won't hear about it again until maybe there's a conviction if it's a big enough case well but as a society i mean we we have laws in place yeah certainly you know so like if you do get on a DUI, i know there's certain exceptions to rule like in new mexico my home state i know there was a famous case of a guy who had like six duis and never went to jail yeah that, there there's stuff like that there's certain cracks in the system from time to time but the fact is we do have a pretty standard legal precedent we talked about henry rugg specifically being two times the legal limit. The fact is, we do have a legal limit. He was at a Top Golf. Um, I've been in a Top Golf, and do they keep a great eye on necessarily how much they serve you? I don't know. I'm sure that's going to be a part of the discussion too. Like, how much was he served at the location that he was at? I know one thing this game talked about now is a team in Las Vegas, a sports team in Las Vegas. I, that was one thing that I, I guess for years was can players control themselves in said environment? I think that that's maybe uh, un fair discussion to have you know you can't really yeah. castigate a city that's really just personal decisions what they decide to do and how much you decide to drink yeah we, we have standards well people at this point more or less know I, I think more than less know what the laws and the standards are it's just up to you to be able to recognize yourself yeah, I think DUI cases specifically happen so often that our legal system is more prepared to handle this than any other type of case, whether we're talking about more serious crimes like sexual harassment or murder or whatever the situation may be. I think we're at least more equipped for this situation. So I think the accountability measure is going to be taken out of our hands, I guess. We're maybe going to talk about it, maybe not. We'll find out down the road. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a two-day or one-day news story that we don't really revisit again until 
until we have some new story develop in the, the legal case behind this. I think the emotion side, the thoughts and prayers part of it is probably going to dissipate. The anger around it is going to dissipate. And I think we're going to go on with our lives. And I think that's more so part of how society values DUI at large. Putting all the context and appliers into this, because I know this is a heavy topic with very personal connections to full. And if we talk about it like a statistic, it feels less personal. All right. Well, we got to move on just for the purposes of this show. Let's start here. Hopefully there wasn't any DUIs in the Atlanta area code last night. Nice transition there. (laughs) Well done. I I will break the tension there. That was, that was a pretty, that was a pretty seamless transition on your part right there. You know, there's only a couple options whenever you have to transition from subjects, when you're transitioning from a hard, heavy subject like that, that you transition to a more happy, congratulatory topic like this one. Kind of like just, yell transition a bit of room there Tran- exactly transition just, yell transition, just clap <laughs> and do that atlanta braves won the world series we dropped a video on it last night so definitely go ahead and check that out our instant reaction to it i did want to say this I, I just found it funny how for some reason we just keep forgetting about austin riley whenever we do one of those preview videos the reaction videos austin riley yeah. also had a big series too should throw that into just start here breaking the atlanta sports curse obviously when you go up 3-1 in georgia and you're one of their professional or college sports teams, you do draw the attention of the internet when it comes to meme making or, you know, just loading stuff into the drafts just in case. But they got it done. I don't know if like anything from last night changed in your breaking down of this subject. Anyone else that you forgot about, maybe that you wanted to give a shout out? Well, if we do want to talk about the Atlanta sports curse here, we can go all the way back to 1995 and talk about exactly what's happening here because Braves made the World Series in 1996. They lose to the Yankees. 1997, they make the ALCS. They lose to the Marlins when they were up in that series. Uh, You go to 1999, swept out of the World Series by the New York Yankees. 2004, the Atlanta Falcons. Remember that Michael Vick season where he was on the cover of Madden and won MVP and all that stuff? Made it to the conference championship. Michael Vick gets kind of hurt in that game they lose to the Eagles uh you could go forward to the Atlanta Braves in 2000 and I believe it was 2005 when they were up against the Astros and lost uh they lost to the Cardinals they lost to the Dodgers they come back after rebuilding the team Atlanta Hawks kind of stink for most of this period the Atlanta hockey team moves from Atlanta to Winnipeg I think in 2011 sometime around then uh they lose their hockey team that was just terrible for 20 years in Atlanta and then you have 2019 their magical playoff run they go to a winner go home against the cardinals and they give up 10 runs in the first inning of a winner go home playoff game last year obviously the 3-1 georgia blowing the lead to two on the national championship those being the hardest ones it's over atlanta your bad luck across 25 years is done uh similar to what happened with washington where they just had bad luck forever and then won two championships in one year uh you don't have to worry about that anymore because now you guys get to have a championship parade in Cobb County. I don't think they're going to do it in downtown Atlanta. They'll probably do it through Cobb County, but congratulations to Atlanta in that way. And Austin Riley, you do deserve some recognition for this one because we we did not mention you in the DS preview, the CS preview, the World Series preview, or the World Series reaction video. And he was the four hitter for the champion Braves. So yeah. congratulations to Austin Riley and the Atlanta Braves. You know, I don't know if this was a mistake. I, I did this during editing. I noticed you mentioned Josh 
Donaldson last night. Did you mean to mention Josh Donaldson or was that Austin Riley? No, I meant to mention Josh Donaldson was like on the core of the team that we thought was going to ah. be like this champion Braves. If you'd have gone back to 2019 when they were really starting to peak and they were the two seed in the National League and they were going to make it to the CS and play the Nationals and probably be favored in the series. Like the core of that team was spent a bunch of money on Donaldson. They spent a bunch of money on Marcelo Zuna. Freddie Freeman obviously being the key piece there. Julio Tehran was still pitching there at that point. I think they traded for Cole Hamels. I think he was a brave for for a time there. So the team that won the championship was totally different than the team we thought was going to win the championship in the first place with just those two anchors of Freddie Freeman and Max Freed, who by the way, Max Freed, I believe was drafted by the Padres and traded in the Craig Kimbrell trade. So you're welcome for that Atlanta. That seems to be a theme across years for the Padres is trading Corey Kluber for Ryan Ludwig and trading Max Freed for Craig Kimbrell or trading Trey Turner for Will Myers. Like it seems to be a theme for the Padres across the last 10 years. Hey, I mean, you guys did get Fernando Tatis Jr. for scraps i think what jake it was shields for just or james shields that was exactly it. it was just james shields and yes for all of those failures we also pulled off the greatest trade in the history of baseball across the last 20 years so you win some you lose some in the end did they officially give him mvp i didn't keep much track of the uh mvp yeah, awards. i don't think they've given out the awards yet i think they do that well after the season is done kind of like how the nba does it where they have like an awards show after the fact i thought they um, gave think- buster post the comeback player of the year already that's why i thought i saw the awards get announced but maybe they were saving them i don't know i know that they were still talking about gold glove favorites coming into the world series so maybe you're right there maybe a couple weeks away from announcing those yeah you know it's a great win for the city great win for atlanta it was a good series a good run now i just kind of wonder if the houston astros are going to give up the world series to any other nl east miami marlins world series in two years am i right not miami maybe the mets i think the Mets are probably oh, come the on the Mets they can't point. even hire a team president or a president yeah, of baseball they, they operations have, they've struck out twice on that now they can't hire a manager either because they were also Carlos Beltran remember he never got to manage a game before the sign stealing scandal but they've had two general managers resign in disgrace now for the New York Mets they're the best chance because Philadelphia is worse run than the Mets the Marlins are not even trying Marlins aren't even in the same ballpark as oh, as the rest of the National I will League. say the Marlins actually have started to build up together a solid pitching rotation that they will bring into the next couple of years. If they could ever just get some hitting, hey, free agency is coming up. Miami's been known in the past to go out there and just buy a bunch of talent just for like one championship <laughs> run and then just sell everyone immediately. That has been their MO throughout their World Series appearances in their franchise history. But I wasn't so, alive for those. Like it's been 20 years since that's happened for Miami. They've they, just been tried it once before with when they let's see who did they go was it I think Sean they, Figgins I, I, and I think Heath Bell was on the team and they, and they tried but Mark it just Burley. didn't really work and then Derek Jeter of course bought the team or was part of the ownership group that bought the team they sold everyone Giancarlo Stanton gone Ozuna, Christian Yalich gone and now of course they got that tag bottom feeders they make the playoffs because everyone makes the playoffs in 2020 this year they came back 
back down to earth, but they were a pesky team at times this year. They were that team that would occasionally steal a series. Like I said, that rotation starting to get going a little bit. Who knows? I've seen weirder things. Hell, we just saw the Braves win it <laughs> this year. I feel like I know. You say who knows. I, I feel like I know just because other than Jazz Chisholm, I think if you take him out of the lineup, I think they were 30th out of 30 in offense this year in baseball. So I feel like they're, they're a ways away from that, but they've got Victor Victor Mesa coming eventually. So maybe that'll work out and they'll spend a bunch of money in the uh, off season that might never come because we might have a labor shutout in baseball in the next month or so. By the way, Tucker Barnhart traded to the Tigers today. That was interesting because oh, you can already start making trades. Wow. Yeah, apparently Tucker Barnhart's a Tiger now. So I, I surprised Cincinnati's starting to sell at this point, but yeah. Apparently, well, you can start making trades because Tucker Barnhart just got traded. I guess that's an appropriate transition to this. There seems to be more action MLB trades in November than the actual NFL trades in November because we only had a couple. The only couple, I don't know how much these really changed these teams too much. Von Miller, who a couple weeks ago you mentioned we forgot that Von Miller is good at football. And then after that, he decided to go immediately downhill again because he had that rough game against the Browns where he said, I'm just going to kill whoever's in that backfield and got shut out against Jedrick Wills there on the left side. So with that said, uh, he's a Ram now. The Rams just are immune to the salary cap. That's what that shows me. And they don't have a draft pick up until 2024. Their last first round draft pick, of course, being Jared Goff in 2016. How this changes the team. I don't know if it's going to be a huge impact, honestly. I think there may be a game or two in which we do feel Von Miller's presence, which if Von Miller gets them a win because he has one of his standout games, I guess you consider that a win of the trade itself. But I don't think you're getting necessarily a great player like you were. I, when they keep posting these memes or these images of look at the Rams big three, it still is Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey to me. And Von Miller, if he produces, he produces, but he's a little bit better than Samson Ebukam now. Isn't Sam Ebukam on the 49ers now? Is he that, is. But yeah. like when I think about his production for the Rams and I think what Von Miller is going to provide for the Rams, I think that that's going to be a similar comp. Well, remember the week before this, it kind of went under the radar, but the Rams traded Kenny Young, their starting middle linebacker, to the Denver Broncos um, for like a late pick swap. And he was like the second leading player on the team and it was moving cap around and stuff. So what they're asking is for him to be better than Kenny Young. This is courtesy, I think, of Mina Kimes on Twitter, if I remember correctly. But um, the stat that she threw out was that the Los Angeles Rams this year were the sixth highest blitzing team this season. They had to blitz the quarterback sixth most out of anyone in the league, which is a sign that they weren't really great at applying pressure on quarterbacks. And so the fear is that if they can't rush with four or maybe five, that a good quarterback like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, who can get the ball out in under two and a half seconds, was really going to mess with them come like a playoff scenario where they have that one corner in Jalen Ramsey, but the, the rest of the secondary is kind of like patched up here and there. They lost John Johnson, they lost Troy Hill, and they haven't really replaced that production much this season. I think they're ranked like 13th right now in DVOA on D. 
defense, which is not great considering you have the two anchors of Donald and Ramsey that are supposed to help keep your team afloat, which is a sign that their defense is probably worse than that ranking suggests. I'm more interested in this from the macro level of like roster building because is anyone doing exactly what the Rams are doing where they trade every single pick and are willing to give up extra draft capital in order for teams to absorb salary cap space? I don't think anyone's really doing that. And that's interesting because how do you get ahead in football when everyone is trying desperately to get ahead of the curve by like this much is by doing things differently than everyone else. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes doing things differently than everyone else is wrong. Like Dave Gettleman or John Gruden drafting players. Sometimes it's not a good idea to do things differently than everyone else, but sometimes it is. And I'm just glad the Rams are trying it because don't we want to see if it works? Don't we want to see if everyone's totally overvaluing their draft picks and willing to accept years of mediocrity because they don't want to risk giving up those valuable draft picks or at least what everyone has deemed draft picks to be valuable. This was also a conversation that we had during the draft about uh, Baltimore trading for a wide receiver, which was that first round pick immediately loses value as soon as the pick is made. Because if you're Baltimore and at the time, I think it was Michael Thomas we were talking about. If you wanted to trade Michael Thomas for a first round pick, would you do it? If it's pick 27 for Michael Thomas, some people said no, some people said yes. And then they use that pick to draft Rashad Bateman. And so if I asked you now, I given Michael Thomas is battling injuries now, but if I asked you maybe two months ago, if you would trade Michael Thomas for Rashad Bateman, I think pretty much everyone would say, I'd rather have Michael Thomas. So that draft pick loses value after you make it. And the Rams are saying, we're just not going to make the picks. We're going to capitalize while the value is the highest on the draft pick. And maybe it'll work out. Maybe it won't. But damn it, this is what we think we're going to do. And we're going to try and maximize this window while we have the chance. It's like that old Family Guy episode moment where the mystery box could be anything. It could even be Michael Thomas, or you could have the mystery box, which is Rashad Bateman. And proven commodities definitely are great. I, I think it's a real testament to Sean McVay more than anything, because when I think about what's the backbone of this Rams team and what's kept them so consistent despite not having these draft picks, obviously it, it's Sean. I mean, his worst record, his down year is nine and seven. He had a battle through years of Jerry. Jared Goff, he's had changes at the quarterback position, was even winning games with, who was it, Shane Wolford or what? I think Wolford, it was John whatever. Wolford at John that Wolford. time, but uh, I think Shane Waldron was his Shane coordinator. Waldron. I'm John, combining the two. Either John way. Wolford was there, but also don't forget when we talk about Sean McVay, Sean McVay was hired in the first place because of his zone running schemes and because of Todd Gurley. The he, reason he was hired in the first place was because they said capitalize an offense built around Todd Gurley, and then he lost Todd Gurley and pivoted quite nicely. Exactly. He's able to pivot and make things out of nothing, make Daryl Henderson a solid running back, get some production out of Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, he was able to use well when he was there and healthy. Regardless of running back, changes that running back, quarterback, you could say, hey, you have two studs on defense and Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. Well, he didn't always have Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey came around uh, two years into his regime. And then of course, uh, Aaron Donald, I think he missed a game last year. I think he missed a playoff game and they were still able to win that one. He has shown that he's 
able to win regardless of circumstance. And if I had that coach, I guess I feel a little bit more confident in giving up a first round pick, especially if I think that that pick is going to be in the twenties to potentially thirties of the NFL draft. That's why I think the Rams, their attitude of being cavalier towards their draft picks is not too unfounded. And they're very confident in their strategy to be able to do it. How that works in three to four years when Matthew Stafford's towards the back end of his prime or outside his prime, how they pivot from there. We'll see because, of course, you know, you start to value those as you have to think, and do I have to draft a quarterback early? Do I have to draft like this special wide receiver, running back? You don't too, find too many star pass rushers late in the draft. When you think about like what you miss out on in the first round, the first round's when you get your tackles. The first round's when you get your star pass rushers. Most of the quarterbacks in the league at least are first rounders. You have the exception in a Tom Brady, a pick 199, a Drew Brees, a second round pick, but for the most part, Big Ben, you know, drafted the top 10, you know, obviously Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, top five, as yeah, they there's, have to there's eventually. A few, there's a few examples you can find. Like one that I talk about now is like Elton Jenkins, where he's like this stud lineman who was like a third round prospect who the Packers reached on in the second round. And it's like, oh yeah, he was the best player in his draft but class, but doesn't have Exception, happen not rule. Exactly. I, I yeah. think it's the thing there. In 2024, are the Rams still looking this good? We'll see. Will they have well, a the Seahawks other, decline? Because the, the Seahawks, other side I mean, of the coin for them is that the Rams can always just trade those people down the line if they want to just gut the roster eventually. Or Sean McVay and Les Snead. Uh, by the way, there's a fun Les Snead story at the very end of this too, because of that meme that everyone makes of him that says "fuck them picks" um, with the black and white photo of him. The Rams are selling mugs with those, and his kids bought him one of those mugs after the Von Miller trade. But anyways, Les Snead and Sean McVay might be like aliens from Independence Day where they just drain all the resources and then hop to another planet or hop to another team. But even still at the very end, you can pivot and maybe trade them. And if you win a Super Bowl, if you make it to an NFC championship, you could argue that that's a pretty damn successful run given where the Rams were a couple of years ago and where they were when Sean McVay first took over the team of going like 15 years without making the playoffs and moving to Los Angeles in a totally new market. Does Melvin Ingram provide anything to one of the league's worst defenses? Again, you, you said it there. It's one of the worst defenses. So technically, yes, can't be worse than what they have now, right? I don't, I don't think it's possible to be worse than where they are. Yeah, I don't know what to do with Kansas City at this point. It's it's rough pickings out there, but sure. It's only a sixth round pick. That's fine. And that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the two headliners of the NFL trade deadline. I really wish it was kind of like the MLB trade deadline, you know, where we had a little bit more action. You saw a star move here, a star move there but it's just really not that's the kind of unfortunate thing zach ertz zach ertz was interesting but i mean that i I don't know i guess i kind of forget about that one or at least don't think of that much as a deadline deal just because it was a couple weeks off i mean the other story here is of course you know deshaun watson didn't get moved which um apparently there was a thing where he didn't want to settle on his cases had a phone call with stephen ross the owner of miami and they ended up just deciding to not make that trade so that's an ever-developing story as well um i think obviously that's going to carry into the offseason we may get more clarity on that situation 
situation with some of those cases wrapping up or at least hitting court in March, I believe is the timetable that I've heard most often. So I believe legally his deposition is in February. And then after that, they'll move forward with maybe like giving him a court date or something like that. But yeah, I think what's his name? Tony Busby, the lawyer for the women who are coming forward against Deshaun Watson, uh, said that the Dolphins actually reached out and wanted to know about settlements and non-disclosure agreements as if the Dolphins were like doing their due diligence on like, could we get 22 settlements, which is impossible at this point. You can't get 22 settlements because each person's case is so unique. Um, And Miami, I guess, had a number of settlements where they had said if they had hit that number, then Miami would have been willing to cut a deal on the trade, which is very fascinating because from a legal standpoint, it's standard procedure. What's strange is that it's another organization within the NFL operating on an arbitrary clock of the trade deadline to to make a move for Deshaun Watson. And it seemed kind of weird to hear that story. So I, I don't have all the information around that, but that was the lawyer's story coming out of the trade deadline around that case. Well, tough thing there is none of us have any of the information there. We're just kind of waiting to wait and see. And I guess we'll wait and see until next year what happens with this Deshaun Watson stuff. I guess we also have another one here and he's not cut today. So I think that that's notable. Odell Beckham Jr. is still Brown. A day mm-hmm. after his father released on, I think his Twitter or something, a video of Baker Mayfield missing or not throwing to Odell Beckham. That's kind of one of those crazy things. I <laughs> Not just a video, though. It was a 12-minute video, which is, I I don't know. I haven't seen very many Twitter videos that are 12 minutes long. That takes a long time to process. So I love the idea that he's like sitting in front of his computer and just watching the little process bar go. And he's like, all right, we're almost there. We're almost there. Yeah, you have to kind of wait for that one. That's true because you can't really close the app or it doesn't load properly. And then that I've been in those moments too, waiting for the video to load. But that's crazy, man. Like, um, how do you kind of reconcile that if you're Odell and Baker? Because now it's like, okay, I know what your dad thinks of me. And I know your dad probably thinks this of me because of you. Because who's having those conversations? Odell Beckham Jr., Odell Beckham Sr. The news that just came out, Odell Beckham's no longer with the Cleveland Browns. They've asked they've sent him home uh they haven't cut him yet he's just gonna basically be away from the team now so that seems to be the conclusion here is that they're gonna try and either just send him home and not pay him and cut him in the off season which by the way when we did take it easy back in the uh the dull period of april one of the stories we did was on odell beckham and it was if you look at his contract relative to when the opt-outs and smaller numbers are uh the browns were never going to move him this offseason i know there were rumors like he would go to tampa but the Browns were never going to move him this offseason because it would have just been too much of a dead cap hit on their part. They will cut him at the end of this season is my prediction, Um, unless they think it's gotten so bad that they need to just cut their losses and move on. They'll finish the season with Odell Beckham playing or not playing at this point because he's been asked to go home. They will finish the season with Odell Beckham and then cut him this offseason and absorb like a $12 million cap hit. I think they'd be willing to cut him this season, not wait till the offseason, because I I think that what happened there, obviously you mentioned they're already sending him home. This is their day to think about it and think about their strategy, what they want to do with him. I don't think they want to have like a similar to a Deshaun Watson situation where you just have a guy at home while you're paying him. And there's no benefit they're gaining from Odell at this point, because either if he's not even playing even when he is playing, it's been awful this year. I know that there has been some connection issues between him and Baker. I think he's like in the bottom 100 of 
players in terms of targets. Um, mm-hmm. So I could understand his frustrations. It, it's just one of those things too. I, I think when you're like an athlete at this, uh, I, I don't think people realize this. We t- kind of talked about the Jackson Mahomes, Brittany Mahomes things. And yes, we dissuade people from coming after them like in the way they do. But when you are such a public family member or friend, you do kind of speak for the person that you are in the corner of. I kind of wonder what that conversation was or what was going through Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad's mind when he was doing that, because you know how this is going to look. I mean, I follow Ezekiel Elliott's dad on Twitter. Ezekiel Elliott's dad said, I'm frustrated with the Cowboys. You best believe that that's going to be like some big time news stories. So certainly Odell's dad had to know what he was doing with this. And I think Odell knew what his dad was doing. Oh, but not only that, Odell Beckham Sr. has some clout, because if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights, the movie, one of those Texas high school football teams, the star wide receiver is based on Odell Beckham Sr. Odell Beckham Sr. was a five-star football recruit back in the 1980s coming out of Texas. And that already gives him some name recognition before you talk about his son being one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of professional football. So that gives you that context. In terms of the cutting him now versus later, uh, it's purely a financial situation. So this is uh, courtesy of Sport Track. So this year, Odell Beckham is scheduled to make 14 and a half million. If you assume that the games he's already played, he's gotten paid. I don't know what his payment structure is, but if you say that he's played half the games this year, that means he's got about seven to eight million left on his contract. And if they cut him for any reason, uh, they would absorb a $15 million dead cap hit for, I believe, next season or this one of the two. It's either this season or next season. Well, if it's um, this season, then what's the point? I mean, they're not adding any more talent at this point. It would Unless just be their roster he, continues to get more injured, like it has. Yeah, I was going to say, it would just be the Browns don't have that cap space at this point. I don't know where the Browns salary cap currently sits, but if they don't have eight and a half million dollars, they have to go to Odell and negotiate whatever their situation may be. So it would just be purely financial was the reason why they wouldn't make the move at this point. It would appear courtesy of sport track here. Let's see if we can find in the middle of this, what the Cleveland Browns salary cap situation is. Cleveland currently has $9 million in cap space. So theoretically they could cut Odell Beckham and still have 1.5 million left in cap space. I think it might just be worth it from that standpoint. I know you take a financial hit, but we've seen teams that are more than willing to take dead cap hits for the greater good. And I think that's addition by subtraction in that case. That's why I think just the sooner you could do it, the better, rather than just sitting on this one for the remainder of this eight, nine weeks that the Browns still have in their season, uh, while you're also dealing with a Browns team that has been underperforming, struggling. I think it's better just not have this looming over your head and just to proceed moving forward. I think let's transition topics here just real quick because, you know, we don't want to make this too long of a podcast. I do want to talk about the college football polls that just came out. So we have our first official polls of the 2021 season affecting the college football playoffs. Uh, Disregard the AP polls. It's now all about this. So your number one team, of course, is going to be Georgia. Right behind them, the one loss Alabama team at three, Michigan State. And then at four, surprisingly, Oregon, five, Ohio State, and six, 
Cincinnati. Right behind them, you have Michigan, kind of like on the outside looking in, which I'll be curious to see how that Big Ten tiebreaker would be if, let's say, Michigan somehow pulls off the 10-point upset I'm sure they're going to have against Ohio State. And let's say Ohio State beats Michigan. That would create an interesting little triangle there. This is absolute disrespect for Cincinnati, but I kind of get it when you talk about their schedule. We've seen this before with kind of like these mid-major non-Power 5 schools when it comes to the actual ranking, not the AP ranking. If Oklahoma wins out and goes perfect, you know that they're going to jump into that top four as well. Georgia is going to play Alabama potentially in a SEC championship game. So if Georgia wins there, does that knock Alabama completely out of the top four? Or let's say Alabama beats Georgia, then what kind of chaos does that kind of create for the college football playoff situation? At that point, you know two SEC schools are making it. First initial take on the polls that came out. Uh, We'll get to the Cincinnati stuff at some point here, because even though I am a person who currently owns in my closet behind me a 2017 UCF National Champions t-shirt, because the UCF Golden Knights were the undisputed, undefeated national champions of 2017, even so, I do think it was a fair ranking of Cincinnati, but we'll get to that in a second. Where I just started off, I thought was interesting is that there are eight teams left who can currently make the college football playoff. That is my grand takeaway from this. There are only eight teams that can still make it to the college football playoff, according to the college football playoff committee. That is Georgia, Alabama. Number three was Michigan State, Ohio State, Oregon can still make it. Now we're getting into the territory where you have to win out to get in. So Cincinnati would have to win out to get in. Oklahoma would have to win out to get in. And finally, of course, we have the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, of course. They, forgot, are they have still Clemson, alive. right? Still on their schedule? Uh, yes, they do. They do still play Clemson. I think they play North Carolina this week, so it might be over by this point, but I still believe in the Deeks, the 8-0 Demon Deacons who, fun fact, have not won more than 8 games and have not lost more than 9 games, so they've been between 3 and 8 wins for 17 consecutive seasons, and this year they are finally going to beat that and maybe have a double-digit win season, unless they lose the next 4 games and a bowl game. They will finally break the 17-year long streak of mediocre Wake Forest football, but they're still in the playoff race here. In terms of like the actual poll, I think Oregon was probably the one that surprised people the most, which I think is just as simple as they're the only team in in that group at the top that has a win against a top five team, which is Ohio State. So the committee is valuing that big victory with a bunch of teams after that who have not beaten great opponents. Michigan State just got that win against Michigan last week that propels them to number three, which fair or not fair, I think Michigan State was probably going to be in the top four of the first ranking considering they're an undefeated Big Ten team with a top 10 victory. It's interesting because Oregon is only ahead of Ohio State, not based on resume, but just based on the head-to-head victory, which is we don't know what to do with either of them, but we know they're better than Cincinnati. So that's kind of how things broke out. If I were doing it, I probably would have done Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Cincinnati four, maybe Cincinnati three, Michigan State four, and then going Oregon, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest and everyone else. Michigan's just there to be there at this point. Michigan's going to lose to Ohio State and they won't be in the conversation. Any, I think even if they beat Ohio State, I don't think they can get into the college football playoff at this point because they would need two Michigan State losses to win the conference title. Perhaps, but uh, and depending on the fashion, I guess they beat Ohio 
state too, because that's also factored into these things, style points. Yeah. Um, that would still that make kind them of impact a, it. Wouldn't that still make them a one loss team that doesn't have a conference championship though? Because unless <laughs> Michigan state loses to Ohio state and I don't know, like Indiana, then Michigan state's going to win the big 10 title. Hey, 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 Michigan state has Purdue on their schedule. My friend, Let's they do. Oh, they no way. This week, actually. They do. Oh my gosh. That's so perfect. I guess oh Mel Tucker, gosh. even in his speech to his players, was making it a point to say, listen, Purdue's got this many top five wins over this amount of span, has beat the number two team multiple times. <sighs> So let's not take them not seriously. So this makes me so happy. You have no idea how much this just brightened my day that Michigan State has the Purdue game this week. I don't know if Purdue's ever gotten the magic twice in one year, but damn, it would be it would be so great if they lose to Purdue. Just Apparently they're one of the top passing offenses in the nation. So they could pretty much be pesky for any team this particular year. Uh, so, hey, you know, that's an option if you're a Michigan fan and you're still holding out hope there. It's still dependent on on you obviously winning out for all these teams. If you win out, it's an easy scenario here. You're Oklahoma, you win out. Caleb Williams has been rolling ever since he got inserted in the lineup. Then you're in for it. Ohio State, just win out your remaining schedule. You're in. Oregon, you know, like you mentioned, that that's a thing that, yes, they have the really bad loss on their schedule against a really bad team, but head-to-head against Ohio State is coming up huge for them. I know since that game, and this is one thing you talk about kind of makes this a little bit more nuanced when you talk about that head-to-head. I know they lost their starting running back that was going off in that Ohio State game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, which, CJ Verdell, shout out yeah, 619. Exactly. He's from San Diego. So makes them a slightly worse team than the last time they faced Ohio State, but I mean, hell, they went in to their stadium and kicked their ass. I don't think they'll do it. I don't think the committee will do it. If Oregon wins out, I think they get in over Ohio State. I think Oklahoma supersedes both of them if Oklahoma wins out because they play, I think, Baylor and then Oklahoma State in the next couple weeks, which are both top 15 games. Mm -hmm. And they'll play whoever in the Big 12 title, which will be another good win for them. So Oklahoma, I think, controls their own destiny more than Ohio State and Cincinnati do. Oregon, I'm just counting on them to lose it some point i think it's gonna happen don't know to who but that's just how the pac-12 kind of works georgia beats alabama do they take a two loss alabama team oh no they won't take a two they won't take a two loss alabama team this is assuming alabama wins out georgia can lose to alabama in the sec title and they'll be fine georgia controls their own destiny alabama controls their own destiny which they'll play themselves obviously so someone has to lose that georgia could lose that game and still make it after that i think oklahoma's in the best position if Oklahoma wins out and undefeated conference champion, they're good. Then technically Michigan State, but I think I'm counting on Michigan State to lose to Ohio State in my mind. Maybe that's unfair of me to do considering how good Kenneth Walker is. By the way, Kenneth Walker, who transferred to Michigan State from Wake Forest. So imagine if Wake Forest had had that dude playing on their already undefeated team this year. Five touchdowns against Michigan. Absolutely powerhouse of a running back they have have there disappointing for Jim that was 
a loss that I, I I'm at. Like I was disappointed in the Longhorns losing to Baylor that day, but I think I was more disappointed in Michigan for losing that game to Michigan State, especially because they were up, they had the lead, and Kenneth Walker just dominated. Like I think legitimately, Kenneth Walker may have surpassed Bryce Young in my mind for the Heisman. I'm I'm fine with that. I <laughs> I don't, don't think there's enough separation at the quarterback positions this year. It's been a down year at quarterback, and Kenneth Walker to ha- be on this Michigan State team. That again, a year ago, only had two wins. Even in the short and COVID year, only had two wins. He's on this team now, and they're seven and zero or eight and zero, I guess now eight and zero going into um, some big games down the stretch. If they retain their undefeated record, and Kenneth Walker's a big part of that, I don't think there's any stopping him for the Heisman. Yeah, and I'm fine with that. I'm usually the guy who's like body of work, sample size, but also in college football, there's not as many games, and like there's only a few that really matter because you only play twelve games, and half of them are against like McNeese State or something. So I'm fine with the one game, like just watch. Watching that we were I think everyone was just wowed by Kenneth Walker. It's like, oh, not only is he going for five touchdowns and 200 yards, they're just not even touching him in the secondary. Like it's just no chance. So I'm fine with just giving him the Heisman based on that and that alone. Like it's fine. We don't really have anyone that wows us away for the first time in seven years. So sure, what the heck? Let's give it to Kenneth Walker. Let's give it to a running back from a school that I don't know if they've ever had a Heisman trophy winner. Why not? If Wake Forest did go undefeated, who would have to lose? for them to get in because Uh, it still is technically a power five. I know we don't talk about the ACC, but if they go undefeated in a power five conference, you never see a undefeated power five champion not make it. They would need two of these three. They would need Oklahoma, Oregon, and uh, well, I guess technically Ohio State, but Michigan State is also, they play each other. So I would say they would need Ohio State, Oregon, or Oklahoma, two of those three for Wake Forest to get into the playoff. Still rooting for you, Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. We never came back to that. I thought it was fair. I would have probably put it four, but I get it. I just, this is where I'm just at with I want college football expansion more than anything. I want there to be at least give me eight teams. I would love a 16 team bracket, to be honest. I'm on that side, but at least give me eight teams because. Four teams, it just doesn't do it for me, especially in a sport like football where we say any given Sunday, any given Saturday. I know the big argument that people are saying, oh, well, do we need more games? We see blowouts all the time. I don't know. I want to see if a team can pull an upset. Give me at least the opportunity to see it on the field before I just make assumptions about what can happen. Did I think the Jets were going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals this week? No, but things happen in football and I'd like to see at least them play out in a head-to-head contest. And yeah, yeah. give me more I think, teams. I think- I think the enjoyment of the playoff is not for us to figure out. That's for the people who make the money to figure out how many games they want to do there and whether or not it would dilute the product or what TV ratings are. If you, if you better than the New Mexico bowl, man, even so, if you do an eight team playoff, so let's say those teams I mentioned, let's have an eight team playoff. So Georgia's going to play wake forest in the first college football play. Georgia's going to be like an 18 point favorite in that game. Actually, Georgia would play Oklahoma in an 18 playoff. Oh yeah. I just, Alabama would face Michigan. No, I just kicked Michigan out Don't altogether. Kick Michigan. <laughs> We're going purely off this. Michigan State would face Cincinnati now, and Oregon would face Ohio State in a rematch. Those are See, four that's... games I would watch. 
Of course. Yeah. I think we'll watch any top 10 match. We all watch Penn State and Iowa. So I think we'll watch any top 10 matchup they put in front of us. That's the point. Like, I think what college football fans like is unusual pairing, um, some odd dance partners. And I think that's what an expansion of the playoffs gives you. I don't know what the holdup has been. It's like when we were fighting over the BCS system, we all know it's stupid. Yet we refuse to move to a playoff system. We finally go to a playoff system, but we kind of just dip our toes into the water and give us four teams. Now let's go all in on this because the bowl system is dumb. It's antiquated. No one really cares for it anymore. I will occasionally do a bowl pick series, but I'm not happy about it. I'd much rather be watching playoff games. I'd much rather wa- be watching the best talent out there. Bowl eligible, what does that even mean nowadays? Nothing, literally nothing. But I think this is a simple point to that is that we agree on it and we are in different places. But if you think of the most traditionalist sports in America, I think college football is like just ahead of like horse racing and boxing in terms of being like old timey. So they're a traditionalist sport. They're a tribalistic sport. It's something that's passed down across generations and change comes a lot slower in that sport comparatively to other places. Change comes quite slowly, even though it's a gigantic economy and eventually we'll come around to it. I think it it took a while to get that college football playoff change and changing the format right away when there's not a huge incentive to do so is fine for them. Sure, they'd get more money from like ESPN in a package for four extra bowl games or maybe not even four extra bowl games because it would be like the the New Year's six just with more stakes, I guess, if it were an eight-team playoff. But it can also be the best of both worlds because you can have a first round of blowout matchups and then you get the same four teams at the end anyways. So you get the the same semifinal teams they just have to play an extra game to get there i mean you look at march madness man march madness is huge because those first rounds even though we expect the majority of them to blow out that diamond in the rough that one in one million just makes the entire bracket worth it and we're talking about that more than we're even talking about the championship game but then by the time we get to the championship we don't want them to be there anymore we want to get kansas state out of there we want to get syracuse out of there we want to see the actual good teams play in the championship unless they could go out there and perform there's the occasional time in which what was it um uh vcu you know a vcu a baylor or sorry sister jean think about it like that we're fine with sister jean one of those teams i mean how those teams that went out there and balled actually i don't think they ever got blown out even in their loss when they left the tournament they were still kind of did they got kind of dominated by michigan in the final four it wasn't like a 30 point blowout but it was it was like double digits all the way through when butler made it and almost beat duke if it wasn't for a missed three-point half court, yeah, I think it was Gordon Hayward that actually took the shot. Yeah, quarter of an inch. Quarter of an inch it would have gone in. I got blessed because I not only got to see them fail in college doing it, but I also got to see Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward fail at the pros doing it for my team. So that was that's fun. Yeah, I think people like that every now and then. Okay, let's get into our NFL picks because, you know, running over an hour here. I really took it on the chin this week. Uh, one in four week for me, I bad week. <laughs> it was a rough one. I will say I'm happy about the one I did get, that, that Saints one turning into a W uh, because obviously when you have to depend on Trevor Simeon to deliver in the clutch for you, it feels so much better. And then I get to see... <laughs> The Sunday night game with Cooper Rush being my downfall. What the hell? Cooper Rush? Really? 
I made Mike that Zimmer, pick without be even better. having Dak Prescott. I didn't even know Dak was going to be out. I still got it, which is a victory <laughs> I was for me. thinking what? to myself, I, I was thinking that Sunday night, because I saw the Vegas line suddenly shift to three points in favor of the Vikings. I'm like, oh, okay. They know Dak's going to miss this one. I got this game on, Kyle. I'm good. And uh, no, no, did not happen. You know, too, obviously there was the Titans-Colts game where I'm depending on the Colts and Carson Wentz decides to throw a left-handed jump pass rather than just take a sack that that's just the type of play you expect from Carson Wentz at least once a game every now and then yeah I, I think that still- might legitimately be the worst NFL turnover I, I said that literally the la- week before too I think I saw the worst NFL turnover by Carson Wentz and then he one ups it with that one because I've never seen a quarterback legitimately decide to throw with his opposite hand falling backwards just straight into the guy's hand for a pick six well I love the strategy on this is that if he takes the safety they don't get the ball back so they automatically lose the game anyways and so Carson Wentz this might have been a big brain moment by Carson Wentz of deciding I'm gonna do the memeable thing but also we're gonna get the ball back and go tie the game could you throw it at least I don't know into the back of one of your offensive linemen's head oh but wouldn't that be intentional grounding I don't know I'm just it's a Colts player in the area I don't know if he's an eligible wide receiver but I don't know technically I I think (laughs) you had to have seen the big defensive lineman in front of you is my point there's probably yeah, like, I don't know how you miss that guy unless he just went legally blind for a second there as he had the other guy on his back. But I will say for worst turnover, though, during the 0-16 Lions season, Dan Orlovsky did run out the back of the end zone on a snap. So that and is- now he gets paid to evaluate quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that one might take the cake, but Carson Wentz is up there. Carson Wentz is a pretty good one. Okay, we ended our college football discussion talking about Cincinnati, so let's start our NFL discussion talking about Cincinnati. So last week, I finally convinced you to get on the bandwagon, make that turn, Cincinnati playoff team, a little bit. Hold on here. All I said after that is that they are better than I thought they were. The Bengals are better than I thought they were. And that is not saying all of a sudden that they are going to be fantastic. I can still take a victory lap on this one because the Bengals lost to the damn Jets and gave up 405 yards to Mike White. So the goddamn Jets. <laughs> uh, should I go into this? I'll start the analysis there. So sure. Let's take it. it. Uh, Cincinnati is a two and a half point favorite going against Cleveland. Yeah, so this is interesting. The Cleveland side is more interesting to me, but I'll start with the Bengals here. Uh, the Bengals and Chargers are in the same place right now where we, uh, uh, not we, not myself, but everyone else as a society did the thing where they start changing the expectations of a team based on the start of the season. So the Chargers all of a sudden are AFC West conquerors and the Bengals are the number one seed. And if you go back to the very start of the season and say, hey, Cincinnati Bengals, hey, Los Los Angeles Chargers you are going to make the playoffs in 2021, both those fan bases would be elated. That would be a massively successful season. And so those expectations shouldn't change all of a sudden because there was a super hot start or super cold start. Because remember, the Bengals could be really bad right now. If if they have a one-pick difference from the Dolphins, they have Tua and Jalen Waddle, and everything's falling apart right now. It could be a whole lot worse for the Cincinnati Bengals at this point. And making the playoffs this year would be a huge success 
success of the Bengals, which if they're going to do it, they're going to have to beat the Cleveland Browns this week. I don't know which Cleveland Browns are playing and which ones are not. Um, so with that being said, I am still going to take those pesky Cleveland Browns, despite the fact they are two and a half point underdogs. I'm kind of leaning on Vegas on this one because I don't know who's playing and who's not for Cleveland this week. Baker Mayfield is basically playing with a completely torn shoulder at this point, and he's only playing because he does not have a guaranteed contract for next season. The Browns declined his fifth year option, I believe, and Baker Mayfield did not come to an extension with them because he wanted to have a prove it season. And now he has to play a prove it season through a big injury and his running back room being depleted and losing a couple offensive linemen here and there. Although I think Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin are both back now for Cleveland. So that should, you know, make things a little bit better. I just don't know what to do with that evaluation of Baker Mayfield. And I think I'm just kind of like kicking the can down the road on the Baker Mayfield conversation um, because we just don't know what he is at this point and we don't know what the Browns are. Jarvis Landry played awful last week and dropped passes left and right, which was kind of shocking because we don't expect that from Jarvis Landry. So I just don't know what to do with the Browns at this point, but I feel good about them to win against the Cincinnati Bengals because if you put that team on paper next to the Bengals team on paper, I would take the Cleveland Browns and the fact that they're slight underdogs means I would have good value on that game. So I'll take Cleveland Cleveland, even though it sounds like I'm hating on the Bengals a little bit. I, I do like Cleveland this week. The goddamn Jets. I, I can't believe this this year. I mean, they beat Cincinnati. They beat the Titans. Two teams are at the top of the AFC conference standings. It, it's, it's honestly incredible to think how random the NFL is. And again, that's why I'm very pro college football playoff expansion. But the Browns going into this one, obviously you mentioned it. Baker Mayfield's injury kind of takes the cake as far as the storylines going in. Because when you say you don't know what Browns are going to show up, you literally mean that. You don't know which Browns are going to show up. That injury report has been long and lengthy for the Browns this season, and they might not have the team that we go in recording this on a Wednesday showing up to play for them on a Sunday. That's why I'm going to go with the Bengals. I'm going to write this off as a one-game trap game they had against the Jets. And you talk about shifting expectations. I don't think that there was any folly in having the expectations for the Bengals because two weeks ago when they beat the shit out of the Lions, we said to ourselves, hey, that's what good teams do. They beat the hell out of the bad team. So going against the Jets, which was one of the bigger lines of the week, you would have thought that they would have had that same type of mentality, but it's clear that they just put all their energy into that Ravens game and didn't even think about the Jets. Hell, they were probably even looking ahead to this Browns game, knowing how much implications were going to be in another highly contested AFC North matchup. So that's why I'm going to say that they get right mentally in this game. Their defense plays well because they didn't play well at all against the Jets. You talk about Mike White having over 400 passing yards against them. You know, their offense kind of looked out of sync. Joe Burrow was making stupid interceptions himself. I think that if you cut down on the turnovers, you play a little bit better defense against a Browns offense that has just been sputtering. I mean, in that Cardinals game, I mean, the Browns only scored 14. In the Steelers game, the Browns only were able to put up 10. Do I think the Bengals have a defense comparable to the Steelers? At least early parts of the season, they showed that they have a decent enough pass rush and players on that side of the ball to make it is uncomfortable a day for Baker as the Steelers were able to. So yeah, I think the Bengals got this one. I think they bounce back and the Browns at this point are just looking like a team that's not going to make the playoffs. 
I will say that I don't have much faith in the Browns because even besides this Bengals who are ahead of them in the standings, you have the Patriots ahead of them in the standings, the Steelers just beat them in a head to head. I think the Browns are looking more towards next year and they're falling under the weight of their expectations coming into the year. All right, let's move on to the next game in our Sunday slate. So the purple people eater bowl, or I don't know, what do you call this one? There's going to be a lot of purple on the field, a lot of Royal purple out there. We have the Vikings going into Baltimore. Baltimore is currently a six point favorite. I mentioned it a little earlier. Again, Cooper Rush comes out of nowhere to beat (laughs) the Vikings. I was listening to Mike Zimmer's press conference too after this one, and he just seemed so distraught and shaken by this loss when he was asked by reporters, like what he thought about this one. He was just, I I don't know. I, I just... You know, like, I'm, I don't know. We just got to get better. You know, some interesting things for the Vikings. Patrick Peterson's been on the IR with a hamstring injury. Daniel Hunter is out for the season with a torn pectoral muscle coming off of that Sunday night football game. We were talking about the Vikings going into the Cowboys game that their defense was starting to play a lot better. And we based a lot of that on the fact they had Daniel Hunter back in their lineup. Well, now he's gone again. So now I have a very hard time seeing who's going to really contain Lamar Jackson in this Ravens offense. The Ravens are coming off by two. Too. So they had an opportunity to get a little bit healthier. Latavius Murray's questionable and Sammy Watkins are questionable, but they had Rashad Bateman come back into the lineup a couple of weeks ago. He started to look really good. Marquise Hollywood Brown has started to play really well too, developing in this offense. He's looking like a legitimate number one wide receiver for them in Baltimore. I think everything is just lining up perfectly for the Ravens to go in there. And hell, even with the six points, I think that they can beat the Vikings um, by that standard because the Vikings defense is going to be struggling going into this. This one. This is going to be a big Kirk Cousins game. Thankfully Kirk, for Kirk Cousins, he's not going to be in prime time. He's in the right window for him to succeed. That 11 a.m. Pacific time, start time window. I, I think that that is perfect Kirk Cousins territory, but he's just going to come up just short. He's going to be in that, as you call it, Kirk Cousins purgatory this week. Yes, which is why I hate that the spread is six points because that's exactly the point where Kirk Cousins purgatory exists is that Kirk Cousins is always and forever will be as he was last week against the Cowboys down six one minute to go no timeouts length of the field left it, it used to be philip rivers purgatory now it's Kirk cousins purgatory uh, it doesn't matter whether you're playing cooper rush or mike white or patrick mahomes it's just he's always going to be down six one minute to go length of the field no timeouts it's the, the permanent purgatory of Kirk cousins uh, i too am going to take the baltimore ravens i think the ravens are going to score at least 30 points in this game uh that doesn't preclude the vikings from also scoring 30 points in this game, but I feel very good about the Ravens scoring that many points and maybe the Vikings get held to like 14 or something and this ends up being a Baltimore blowout. The Vikings season is over. Um, I would like to just check that off and say it, it's it's just about done here. Maybe just they... about, just because you look at that seven seed in the NFC and it's very much up for the grabs. Yeah, it's like Saints and Panthers and Niners, I don't know, yeah. like the 49ers having some kind of run here. I feel better about the 49ers than I do the Vikings and I don't feel I said the 49ers season was almost over a couple weeks ago but uh, I'd still feel better about them than I do the Vikings at this point because Daniel Hunter being out means you're going to have another putrid defense in Minnesota because they can't they already their secondary was already horrible before this and now you lose the pass rush what do you have left to hang your hat on is it Anthony Barr is it Harrison Smith being like the third highest rated pro football focus safety like that's did they cut that for feels Shaw like Breland? Because I know he was really struggling early.
early on. I mean, he's, he's not Dantzler <laughs> has also been really bad for them too in the secondary. Yeah. As a, as credit to Brashad Breland, he is no longer an all time historically bad cornerback, which I believe he was ranked 117 out of 117. Yep. I remember dropping that stat there. Yeah. He yeah. really was the worst in the entire NFL pantheon this year in 2021. He was the worst corner very early on until the defense finally started around into form. Yeah. There's just so many things lining up for the Ravens this week. I think we're yeah. firmly in agreement here. I don't think there's any dispute. Do you think Mike Zimmer could get another job if, oh, if he yeah. walked away? He, this He could. Uh, we've actually had this discussion on 49 Reasons. Listen, my Niners podcast, you, by the way, I'll give a plug there about who in theory would replace Kyle Shanahan if like things continue to go south. And the idea was just like, um, what are some guys with NFL coaching experience that would be really good fits? Um, because we assume Kyle Shanahan probably at least get one more year, even if this year goes south. So in 2022, you look at a guy like Mike Zimmer potentially out there. That's an option because you assume this coaching cycle, you're going to lose guys like Joe Brady and um, Brian Daybaugh, who are all perfect fits for like someone like a Trey Lance, who obviously we're developing there. Um, so do you go to a defensive head coach like a Mike Zimmer and see if you can hire some offensive assistants around him? Obviously, he's not too unfamiliar with having a similar Kyle Shanahan offensive scheme. He's definitely among the better head coaches you can hire. I think he's just starting to reach that point in Minnesota where he's been there too long and they haven't really won, at least won a championship. So I think it's like that Jason Garrett kind of purgatory yeah. where like you're a good coach. We all kind of see that you're a good coach, but you've kind of reached your ceiling with this team. That would be oh, even Andy Reid hit that point, you yeah, know, where it's just like then, it's time to move on. Even then, we didn't give Andy Reid the props he deserved for being an all a Hall of Fame level coach. Yeah, uh, and you that, know, you look at Mike Zimmer against the spread. I think Vegas has him ranked as one of the best head coaches currently in the game because he's always beating the spread at the very least. Whether that applies to the real life game or not, uh, very seldomly it does because it's wins or losses at the end of the day, not ATS. I feel like 49ers would be an upgrade for him because they would have the quarterback that they believe in. I, when I said, could he get another job? I was talking about like the shitty jobs, like the Broncos or the Giants. I, thought I would he's like, hope that they wouldn't give him that. I couldn't see the Broncos doing that coming off of um, what they currently have there with Fangio, just, you know, two defensive head coaches back to back. I think they'll probably want to think try that'd be go... three because they had Vance Joseph before that. Sure. So I think I, I think that at that point, they'll try and go offensive. We'll have this discussion too on future openings at head coaching positions as we advance. Uh, let's not bog this down too much. Uh, let's move on to our next game and we'll revisit that subject. It's definitely an interesting one. Now let's go into the Niners. Actually, they're going into Arizona this week, or actually no, Arizona is coming to San Francisco this week where the Niners are a point and a half underdogs. Uh, this game got a little bit more interesting with the probability that Kyler Murray may actually miss this one. He's dealing with an ankle sprain right now. I know on the current injury report, he's still just marked as questionable. So he hasn't been officially ruled out, but when I think about a mobile guy who likes to move around and do the stuff that Kyler Murray does. And I think about sending him out there with an ankle sprain. I think if you're the Cardinals, you may have to ask yourself and do some personal inventory here. Is it worth it to put him in this compromised position? <laughs> See, this is funny because this is where I'm evaluating in my head is where I'm like, what you think about the mobile quarterback and having to put strain on the ankle and, and he's your franchise cornerstone and you'd want to protect that because he's about to get $250 million this off season. And then you think about Colt McCoy. <laughs> You're like, ah, 
crap. Yeah, they don't have that really suitable backup behind him that you could go in. You know, Cole McCoy did win a game for them last year, though. I guess we should, or no, it didn't win a game for them, but won a game last year in the Not NFL. Not only that, Colt McCoy and Alfred Morris went into Seattle and defeated the Seattle Seahawks. I don't, I don't want anyone to forget this. That is a real thing that happened last year, and we should celebrate it every time we mention Colt McCoy or Alfred Morris. I think if you're in the Cardinals, you have to think about this from last year's standpoint, because remember, they were rolling up until the um, Hale Murray, everything started to fall off the wagon there for the Cardinals. And part of that was Kyler Murray had to deal with a shoulder injury. Now dealing with this ankle injury, and that's a big part of his game plan. You're sitting there at seven and one. Do you decide, okay, I think we could potentially give him a rest. We're in this position where I guess we are fighting for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Do we want to even risk losing ground to the Green Bay Packers and having to go on the road and play in Lambeau this postseason. I think you have to just take a similar approach to what the Cowboys did and just hope that the talent on your roster is good enough to get you by at least one week against a 49ers team that, yes, they beat the hell out of the Bears. Well, actually, they didn't even beat the hell out of the Bears. It took them like until the second half to really get things rolling against the Bears. Can we beat the Niners without Kyler Murray out there? I think I it's possible. I'm not going to discount it because when I look at the things going on for the Niners their secondary has been suspect throughout the year they weren't able to get any kind of pass rush against the Bears so you can move the ball on them offensively if you just play safe conservative football don't turn the ball over which I think is something Colt McCoy is entirely capable of and then their defense this is going to be interesting seeing what their defense looks like without J.J. Watt in the lineup because yes he wasn't making an impact in terms of his pass rush gain sacks like old school prime J.J. Watt but he was doing some good things for them from a leadership standpoint from a run stopping standpoint jump ball I, he had a big tip pass the last time that the Niners and Cardinals played against each other he had a couple I think tip passes there now without him in the lineup that's one more key piece this off this defense that has made a huge turnaround is that enough for a Jimmy Garoppolo Kyle Shanahan led offense to be able to pick them apart because they seem to get a little bit of their mojo back but the Jimmy Garoppolo experience has been one that's been filled with ups and downs hell I almost feel like it's a home field disadvantage because at this point the Niners record in Levi I believe is one in 10 in their last 11 games that's yeah. kind of incredible damn at this point I'm actually thinking about this and we've joked about this too um, on my other show was that I think that the Niners have lost these early season games on purpose because they don't want to play at home for the playoffs they're conceding home field advantage. They want road field advantage. That's really what they want at this point because they have not done anything at Levi's. And it's not the stadium. It's not the fans that are doing anything. I don't know what it is. It's just, just bad luck. Just, just, I guess just you run into the wrong team at the wrong time. You have to start Nick Mullins through a majority of that stretch. You have absolutely no home field advantage in terms of fans last year because uh, Santa Clara was one of the more stricter areas in terms of crowds during the COVID pandemic. Well, they went to you go know, play in Arizona for like you two months. You had to go play in Arizona. You literally get deported out of your own stadium for a month. So yeah, those factors, Levi's has not been a place that's kind to them. They can't go 0-4 at home. They just just can't do that. I, I think I'm going to go with the Niners here. Uh, they play the Cardinals well. Last game it was a 17 to 10 margin. Obviously, I mentioned the key pieces are missing for the Cardinals uh, defensively and potentially offensively if Murray's out. I think that's enough just to get the Niners a win and go back to four and four this week.
we're against each other again here. So I've got the Cardinals for the second time because uh, it has served me well. You picked the 49ers uh, a couple weeks ago and I picked the Cardinals and I got that victory here. So that turned out quite nicely for myself. I know people who are like the traditionalists, you know, any given Sunday, this is all, it's all about being one and one or one and oh, which has been the Cardinals mantra of every single week. We're trying to go one and oh this year, but secretly it doesn't matter whether they win or lose this game. Protect Kyler Murray at all costs. You hear it's a one to three week injury, which probably means it's more serious than a one to three week injury. So it doesn't matter. You guys are good enough. You're going to make the playoffs no matter what. You guys are fine. You can win three games with Colt McCoy and still be the five seed in the NFC. It's fine. As long as you get all those pieces healthy towards the end of the season, the regular season doesn't actually matter for you anymore, Arizona. So please don't play Kyler Murray this week. I want to, even if it sacrifices his MVP campaign, don't play Kyler Murray this week. And even still, I'm still taking the Arizona Cardinals because you convinced yourself that the 49ers are just purposely trying to get the seven seed so they don't have to play at home and not that they might not even be good enough to be the seven seed, but they'll sneak in because there aren't seven good teams in the NFC this year. Who knows? Maybe the 49ers, this is all a ploy and they'll go win the Super Bowl from the seven seed instead <laughs> of being kind of mediocre. But I will say to your guys' credit, coming off of the best offensive game of the season last week, the Bears defense has been good in the past. I think they're a little less than they've been in past years but they had cool mac out so you do take that as kind of one of those little notes and then also eddie jackson went out very early on in that game so the bears did come in a little bit more hindered than their traditional bears defense that we think of when we think going into that game of course you still have ballers out there like akeem hicks were causing still chaos the, but the, the offensive line played well you know everyone came together debo samuels just making just clutch catches by the way Debo Samuel first seven games of this season has more receiving yards than any other Niners wide receiver and who do the Niners have on their all-time wide receiving list the GOAT uh-huh. Jerry Rice I in thought fact, you were going to say like Brady Samuel actually passed Jerry Rice technically like three, four times. He's Jerry Rice is listed three times in the Niners top five first seven games all time receiving yards list. Yeah, he's obviously just that amazing. In fact, just Jerry Rice statistical categories in terms of wide receivers, like every other wide receiving group or, or every other position group were like, who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest of all time? Then you hit wide receiver and it's like, oh, look at the numbers. They're not even yeah. close. Neither here nor there. Going back to that at this game, just yes, I, I just think the Niners just have the benefit with that. You mentioned what the Cardinals should do with Kyler Murray. Again, I think you could get by with one week of, of Colt McCoy. Ankle injuries. Hell, I saw with Jimmy Garoppolo last year. They ruined his entire season. You don't really want to risk that if you can help it. Uh, oh, one I think three they can get just... away with the whole month, though. I think they could go four weeks and be fine. We'll see how that defense regresses. Happen. If that defense does show some signs of regression, then that could definitely hurt Colt McCoy's time in the lineup there. I think you could at least win one to two games if you told me McCoy was in a four-game stretch with the current roster that he has. I think this is going to be a true look at Cliff Kingsbury to see evaluate him as well as we progress forward. I think you mentioned it for the Cardinals. All you have to do is get to the playoffs this year. I don't think anyone's really looking at the Cardinals and thinking they're a true Super Bowl team. At least I'm not. Maybe I'm underrating them. I'm not seeing them as a Super Bowl contender this year. But if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you had to save your job. And getting to the playoffs is a way to save your job this year. You're going with the Cardinals. I'm going with the Niners. No reverse jinx this week. I'm just going all 
in. We'll see what happens. Uh, let me ask you real quick: who who is the best 49ers wide receiver post Jerry Rice? Is it is it Torrey Smith? Is it Pierre Garcon? Like who who's the no. best wide receiver? I mean, Michael that? Crabtree will probably That's, be our best. Michael, Michael Crabtree is a good one. You know, we That's drafted him top seven, and he had some good years for us in the Super Bowl run, the Harbaugh years, certainly. I would say Anquan Bolden's not too bad behind him. And actually, post Jerry Rice, you mentioned we had, we had Terrell Owens. Oh uh, yeah, let's say post Terrell Owens then. That one. Okay, Brandon Lloyd, actually. I would say Brandon Lloyd, Anquan Bolden. Hell, right now, I mean, short sample size, but Debo's looking amazing. Debo is (laughs) really looking freaking good. In fact, the thing is, it's tough. Obviously, you have to factor in Debo's injury history, but when he's on the field, you always feel his impact. He's doing something to help the team win. That 80-yard screen against the Bears this week, it shows you how dynamic a playmaker he is. Through his first three years, he's showing characteristics similar to a guy like Devontae Adams. You're very encouraged if you bought into Debo and considering that he was drafted ahead of guys like DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, that's the type of stuff that if you're John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, you really wanted to see from him to justify your decision considering how many bad draft decisions, unfortunately, those guys have made over the last four years. Okay, let's advance. Let's go into our next game of the week, which is going to be the Green Bay Packers going into Kansas City. Now, I imagine this line has shifted quite a bit just today because we had some breaking news. Breaking news as Aaron Rodgers will not be playing in this game. I'll I'll get that on a loop. You know, we'll get that drop going one day. We should. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that was really good. Aaron Rodgers will be out Sunday because he got posted on the Rona list. This comes a week after, of course, his wide receiving core got decimated by the Rona as well. Devontae Adams may be back this week. Alan Lazard may be back this week. But Jordan Love is going to be the one throwing them the ball, which is kind of going to be a neat sight to see because we, you know, we want to see what Jordan Love looks like because we pretty much all expected this to be Aaron Rodgers last year in Green Bay. I was thinking if we got a Jordan Love game, it would come like in week 17 week 18 but we get to see him with all the weapons out there the first team out there can he play big in a big time game against a struggling Chiefs team in fact how much love should we give the Chiefs I mean Vegas giving them seven and a half even against Jordan Love and the Packers I think is a little bit too much because we saw this team struggle on Monday night to beat the Giants the Giants this team is not the same Chiefs team we thought it was coming into the year they have not looked good against good teams obviously losing like they did to the Titans losing like they did to the Bills they have not looked good against bad teams. They played down to their competition there as well. I am going to pick the Chiefs. Yeah, me too. Because I got the circumstances of facing a backup quarterback, having a Hall of Fame quarterback, and having a Hall of Fame head coach should mean you win this game. But do by no means do I feel good about the Chiefs going into this one. Monday Night Football, show me, and I'm being honest on this one, the Chiefs aren't competing for a Super Bowl this year. They're, they're just not. I look at like, my pearls right now. How dare you do this to the great Patrick Mahomes? How dare you disrespect him in, in that regard? I, I don't believe Three to this. four teams in the AFC that all are competing for a championship. No, you can't do this. You can't do this to my boy Mahomes. I refuse. I will cradle my jersey to protect myself on this one. I will not stand for this. The Kansas City Chiefs can still win a championship this season. It's not over yet, but at the same time, it's, it has not been good for Kansas City at all. I mean, um, the playoff picture is starting to look even poorly in their favor, too. They got a huge break 
with the Packers having to go in with a backup quarterback. Because yeah. if Aaron Rodgers was in this game with their defense that they put out on the field this entire season, there was no way in hell that they were winning this game. Yeah, I, I said thinking the Raiders are going to make the playoffs over the Chiefs is probably a little weird because I feel like the Chiefs are going to win twice against the Raiders coming up here in the next month or so. They'll split. Ah, oh, nah, I don't think split. so. There's no way that the Chiefs are beating the Raiders twice. Oh, I disagree on that. I think they're just a better team even still. I know the defense is really bad. I... It's rough pickings out here. I know they held the Giants to 17. I would argue holding the Giants to 17 can be classified as a bad defensive Listen, game. You just look at the Raiders' body of work they have been playing good football in every single game they've been in even the games they've lost they've been playing good football offensively and defensively I know they got a lot of exterior stories but I think they still split with this Chiefs team the Chiefs have not shown me anything throughout the season that makes me believe in the Chiefs of old I don't want to get averaging like 35 points a game for the first five games of the season nah no well there was what one game against the eagles there where they blew them out and the eagles have been a bad team the chargers defense you know there are holes in the chargers defense that you can exploit in the type of game that led into that the ravens defense has been bad throughout the year too the ravens have allowed multiple 400 yard passing games so you can score on the ravens i guess probably their best game might actually be against the browns but they trailed by multiple touchdowns in that game and the browns should have beat them in week one yeah they should have for sure kansas city is in this group of teams that we don't know what to do with in the AFC like Baltimore and Buffalo we know they're really good and then after that we're trying to figure the rest out from there like we're pretty sure we know who the playoff teams are going to be it's going to be the Titans as the three or the four seed it's going to be the the Chiefs it's going to be the Chargers it's going to be the Bengals maybe and then there's going to be a seventh token team in there I'm not sure who it's going to be right now but could be you know Cleveland it could be the Raiders it could be uh, eh, not the Colts Sorry, Colts fans, Uh, the Patriots, maybe like we're trying to figure all of this out as we go along with the AFC. And I I don't think it fares well for Kansas City that they don't have the wins at this point. Like Kansas City's just gotten unlucky in some of these, like the the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumble, of course, being the big one that I think of where they could, should, would be five and three right now. And that's going to make things easier for Kansas City. But even still, I, I feel like they'll be good enough to make the playoffs. They can be beat any given week. They can be beat by Jordan love theoretically but I wouldn't go as far as to say the Chiefs are not playing for a Super Bowl this year I think even if they believe they're playing for a Super Bowl and they're not good enough they're at least trying to oh that's a different conversation mentally I believe they do believe they're playing for a Super Bowl I believe Patrick Mahomes in his heart of hearts believes he's playing for a Super Bowl I just don't think they have the horses to win it this year or compete for it this year it's hard for me to see them going against Buffalo or Baltimore or or Tennessee obviously we'll get into what happened with Derrick Henry here in a little bit when we talk about them. I just haven't seen them really compete against these good teams in a way that makes me have faith in them. We'll see how they do against the Raiders next week. They do face the Raiders in week 10. Uh, so that will be a good barometer of how they stack up against playoff teams moving forward. But they've gotten very lucky scheduling wise that after these tough losses, there's always been an NFC East team or there's now been a team with a backup quarterback. Because if they had to face another tough team coming off of their loss uh, the previous week, and they could have lost that one too. And then they're two games under 500. They just got some reprieve that they should have had a cakewalk game against the Giants and they couldn't even capitalize there. 
Yeah, it's a weird time for Kansas City. Before we move to the next game, I would like to say with the Aaron Rodgers situation, isn't that kind of weird? Like Aaron Rodgers gets like Eastern medicine style vaccination and that doesn't get approved. And so he's backlogged some fines around that. I feel like that's so he's unvaccinated. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers applied for an exemption of a, a apparently something different than a vaccination. I don't know exactly what it was. I know Aaron Rodgers is super into like Eastern religion and Eastern medicine and stuff. So I don't know exactly what it was that Aaron Rodgers claimed was a separation from a vaccine, but Aaron Rodgers was very quietly unvaccinated and we didn't know about this. And now we find out in a way that is kind of weird because he's going to miss a game because of it. And I think we're all just kind of blindsided by the situation, but does it get yeah. worse too with unvaccinated players? I believe that they have a 10 day minimum that they have to yeah, be that's out. That's why he's already been ruled out at this point is that so, like, yeah. And this is happening here on a Wednesday in theory that could keep him out till next Saturday. I might be wrong, but I thought they had a bye week after it. That's going to protect him from that. Okay. Uh, no, they play Seattle no, they next not. week, which I guess, Hey, at least you're playing a Geno Smith led Seahawks team at that point. So even if you have to roll out Jordan love two weeks in a row, you have a potential to get a win there. Hopefully you like can even similar beat a team to the like a struggling Kansas City team. But similar to what we had with the Cardinals, like the Packers are fine with or without Aaron Rodgers at this point. The only games that matter for the Packers are the three in January or four in January. But they do want play. Lambeau. It's one of the more unique home field advantages that they have every over every other team in the league. And certainly every other team in the NFC that they could have Lambo in January, where you have an Arizona team who's not used to those conditions. You have a Rams team that's certainly not used to those conditions. The Bucks are the only team that can go up there because you have Brady who's played in those conditions for 20 plus years. You have a lot of teams that are unprepared for those circumstances if they have to play in Lambo in January. So that's why you ideally want him out there. Unlike Kyler Murray, of course, they're not holding him back from anything aside from now he's barred from doing it by the NFL based off his decision to not get the backs, which I mean, that's his call. You know, if he costs his team home field advantage because of it, well, that's going to be one that Aaron Rodgers is just going to have to put on himself at that point. Yeah. It's just weird from a leadership standpoint. And I don't know if Aaron Rodgers cares about that anymore because he seems so unhappy in green Bay right now. So I, I don't know whether he cares about the general sentiment of the Packers, but even still like just from a leadership standpoint, kind of weird that we didn't know about it and that Aaron Rodgers is kind of fake at this point but again i don't know if that's what aaron Rodgers prioritizes at this point i think that's ready. just like tom brady versus aaron Rodgers in terms of their mentalities about what they want out of this i mean tom brady i think was one of the first prominent athletes i know that got the vaccination because he was like i don't care this is all about winning for me yeah um, but even I, i'm reading a seth or i'm listening to seth wickersham's book right now and that last year in new england where brady like had a worse completion percentage than trubisky 2019 where they lost to the titans similar type stuff was going on behind the scenes that we just didn't hear where Brady literally is quoted saying like what the bleep am I doing here when he's getting ready to play that playoff game and he just uh I think there was one receiver who like would mess up a route all the time and he just didn't have the motivation to correct him on it like a coach would he's like what am I doing I don't have the motivation I don't have the love here I feel one foot out the door already and I feel like a lot of that's probably happening to Rodgers because he's already he is probably 
probably one and a half feet already out the door in Green Bay at this point, but also has a pretty good team. All right. Well, let's advance into our last game of the weekend, just to this relatively close to that two hour range. Titans are going into Los Angeles as seven and a half point underdogs. And I'm okay with that line. I'm going with the Rams just out the gate here too, because similar to talking about Aaron Rodgers being out of this game, similar to talking about Kyler Murray being out in his game, Derrick Henry is the heart and soul of that Titans offense, the heart and soul of that team. You know how many times that Derrick Henry erases a bad play call? because he's just such a dynamic athlete that he can do that pretty much like a good majority of the time, because I have no faith in Todd Downing as an offensive play caller. Now there's going to be a lot more pressure on Ryan Tannehill, Julio Jones to finally get things going this year. AJ Brown's finally been starting to come around since he's gotten healthier, but you're just not going to replicate the production that Derrick Henry brings you with Adrian Peterson or Jeremy McNichols. We talked about it in fantasy this week. You're not finding a Derrick Henry on the waiver wire. Nothing even close to a Derrick Henry on the waiver wire so you talk about the real life game there is nothing close to that six foot five 250 pound bulldozer that has four four speed that could just run through grown-ass men and embarrass them week in and week out hell against the rams he even could give aaron donald a run for his money he could run over aaron donald you don't have anyone in that backfield now that can do that and if you're telling me that ryan Tannehill has to drop back 50 times in this game to replicate that production on offense i'm gonna tell you that's a losing strategy against the rams because now they added uh, obviously i diminished the value of adding von Miller earlier in this podcast but you do have another pass rusher back there if those guys could just pin their ears back and go after ryan Tannehill, then that's gonna make for a long day and you also factor in Jalen ramsey can just erase your top target in the game could just erase whoever uh he's guarding whether that be julio or aj brown i do lean towards Brown based on the fact that Julio has been pretty much a non-factor in this offense this entire season. Nothing is lining up for the Titans to pull upset in this game. They've come off some great victories, but their streak ends here in Los Angeles going on the road Sunday night football. Weird that they have a streak because I didn't think the Titans were that team coming into the season, but good on them for, for getting the two wins against the Colts and pulling off the upsets against the Chiefs and Buffalo and, you know, doing it a couple times where you start to have the doubt creep in that maybe the Titans aren't as bad as you thought they were at the start of the year. Now, will they still win the AFC South? Probably. Will they still be the number four seed? Probably. And will they lose a playoff game? Probably on ESPN against the five seed? Yes, because that's what the AFC South has been doing for like seven straight years now. But I will say the Titans losing Derrick Henry is tough for them. On the other side of the ball, since you did a good job talking about the Titans offense against the Rams defense, I find interesting that the Titans defense played really well against against Kansas City and then came back against the Colts and didn't have that type of game. But also the Titans defense isn't one that we think is very good, but it's been better than anticipated. I think they're ranked like 12th, according to pro football focus at this point in terms of defensive units. So I don't know what to do with that specifically coming into this game. I would imagine that Rams would like to run the football more and control time of possession. Maybe that means big day for someone like a Daryl Henderson or so. Tony Michelle, who knows, but this probably won't be one of those games where Matthew Stafford is throwing for 400 yards and they have to, you know, charge back from behind because the Titans are going to try and sneak this one away with defensive game plan. And I don't think that that's going to work out as well, but also it's kind of a pick your poison type of thing, right? Like the Titans lose that offensive firepower. So now you lean on your defense a bit more, or you lean on your offense.
offense to try and replicate Derrick Henry production, which I feel like is going to be a, a losing battle unless you totally rethink the way that you do offense, which I don't think that's going to happen for them. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm taking the Rams in this one because the Rams were already a better team with or without Derrick Henry. And my fantasy team is crushed by the loss of Derrick Henry. I'm, I'm feeling quite sad right now. Oh, it, it's just a huge bummer. I, I think there's been no more joy in watching a running back than watching Derrick Henry. We talk how much fun it is to see like a guy like Kenneth Walker in college just dominate. Derrick Henry, the NFL equivalent of that, it's just been amazing to watch over the last several years. And there is that worry. We mentioned this on the fantasy show as well, that we see these injuries happen and we don't think much of that at the time. We think, okay, the guy's just going to get healthy, get back to normal. And then just, they tend to persist. It tends to become a lingering issue. I mean, you look at Christian McCaffrey, he gets the first injury and it's not been right since. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping the fact that Derrick Henry is just built different, keeps him back next year. He's back in the playoffs and the Derrick Henry we know and love, but I also saw Greg Olson's career get destroyed by a foot injury. These foot injuries, dude, you talk about being a pro athlete. There's no way to avoid using your foot on any given play. I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping Derrick Henry comes back stronger from this, but keep that in the back of your mind that it could spiral on you really quick when it comes to an injury and certainly a lower body injury like a foot. Again, we're both united on the Rams here, so no no much debate there. Um, all right, well, that wraps it up here as far as our pick them. We again had to run full circle here. We got some baseball in, some college football, some NFL, some sad topics, some cherry topics. Definitely a little bit winded myself after running that marathon, but <laughs> I'm glad that we could get it in. Uh, Kyle, any closing thoughts before we close out this episode? Episode, I believe, 119 Slumpbuster Podcast. I remember being in that same position as you many a times ago. The first time I did a two-hour podcast, it wears on you. You got to push through towards the very I end. Mean, I will say when we first started the Slump Buster like two years ago, a lot of them ran two hours and my mission has been to shorten them moving forward. I, I think one of the problems is when we just ran through the entire NFL schedule rather than condensing just to five games, there's just no way to limit it to less than two hours. Yeah, I get it. We sometimes we've just given up and said, we're just going to do two hour, 15 minute podcast, which breaks the golden rule of podcast, which is never, no matter what you're talking about, ever do a podcast longer than two hours. That is the unofficial golden rule because nobody cares. Doesn't matter who you are. Nobody cares. After hour two, they check out mentally. <laughs> well, unless, unless we start making it more of a habit to do some edibles before this podcast, go full Joe Rogan-esque with it, then I think we at least have an opportunity there. But hey, if you're you're down, I'm down. I'm just saying, you know, I know you get a little bit more uh, leeway out there in Kelly. Oh, yeah, such. yeah. I mean, I got to wait like eight months to be legal for that. But yeah, there's a dispensary like about two blocks down that from where I am true. right now. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, for, there's there's three dispensaries that. here. There, there's one there. I mean, you it's, know, it's, it's funny. It's a college town. It's uh, I, I know people who can who can hook me up in that respect. But I sometimes forget how young you are, too. Like the fact that you are in your 20s. It's funny to think about like the standard of being 21 years old and reflect on that, how every year, my freshman and sophomore year, there was someone who had to do a book report or something on men. I hate the legal drinking age being 21 or something like that. And then you turn 21 and you just don't care anymore. Yeah, of course. It's all, something's only cool when someone tells you you can't do it. So then all yeah. of a sudden you really want to do it. You, you stop fighting that fight immediately as soon as you turn 
21. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll text my friend and see if I can bring edibles to the next slump buster. <laughs> oof, oof. That, I imagine that hard hitting analysis is going to be there. That is yeah. that will be a three hour podcast at that point. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All righty, Kyle. Well, awesome, man. Well, we'll do it again, obviously, next week. Check out our World Series reaction video. That's on the channel now. If you're still listening at this point, you might as well listen to us for another 10 minutes more. Leave a like on this video if you're watching us on YouTube. Leave a five star if you're listening to this on iTunes. Check out Slumpbuster at Slumpbuster Podcast on IG, at Slumpbuster Pod on Twitter, at Slumpbuster Pod on TikTok. Stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll see you on the next one.